0: And then, um, for some reason, I was just feeling around, and I could feel this kind of like ridge um, in in the breast, and I was like, "Oh, what's that?" And I, I initially, I straight away, just thought, "Oh, it's like a milk duct, or maybe it's a bit blocked, or you know." So many different things happen while you're pregnant. So I was just like, oh, it feels like that. And then I felt around a bit more and I realised that it was kind of more of a solid mass. So it wasn't round um, like a ball. It was maybe more rectangular, but it was kind of, it was hard and it was not normal. The first words out of my mouth was, I don't want to die. And I guess you hear that cancer term and that's where exactly where your head goes. And you think of your kids and you... You know you go i don't want my kids to grow up with our mother and oh, i was pregnant so you just kind of go how does this all work um i said to um the surgeon i said oh geez cancers just need some remarketing because you as soon as you hear it you hear that you know it's a death sentence but you know really it's not we're so lucky the amount of research and um, and treatment options there are these days that um but yeah that was exactly where my head went to that worst case scenario
1: Welcome to the RMA Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals in everyone, thank you for joining me for another episode of the RMA podcast, I'm glad you're here today. Today I have a very special guest, Mel Deneen. Mel is a running mum from Melbourne, she has three beautiful children and is married to Steve. Mel shares openly with us her experience of being diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a little bit different to some people's diagnosis with breast cancer, in fact so different because Mel was actually 25 weeks pregnant with her third baby at the time of her diagnosis. I've been following along Mel's journey, she's in RMA and I found her really inspiring, her posts very uplifting and also the highs and lows of the journey, which I really wanted to help um, share awareness of throughout this podcast. So I hope you really enjoy this insight to Mel's life and her struggles and her triumphs Throughout a breast cancer diagnosis and subsequent treatment and of course the safe delivery of her beautiful baby. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope this episode resonates with those of you that may be going through a similar journey. Let me introduce you to Mel Danine. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor Physiocrine Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mounts Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au Don't forget, if you're a member of the Member Program, you can get 20% off with your Member Code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the RMA Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on today, Mel. Um, I've been watching your journey on social media because obviously we don't live in the same state. You're down in Victoria and I'm in Sydney. Um, But I found, you know, when you first started um, connecting with RMA, you were sharing a little bit about your running journey and then, um, you know, you've got three little kids and you're married to Steve uh, who does Deneen Runners down in yeah. Victoria, um, both you and Steven. And I was following along your running journey and then um, as we'll get into in this podcast, you know, you fell pregnant and then, um, and then found out that you had breast cancer. So there's been a lot to your journey and what I've been following over the past few years, but I, I, I found that you are a person that, um, you know, really inspired me. And I reached out to you for a few times just to, I guess, lend a little bit of support in just saying that I'm thinking of you and that kind of stuff as you've been going through this journey. But um, I'm really excited today that I actually get to connect with you in person, even though we can't physically touch each other. This is becoming the way of the world. I'm just so (laughs) used to seeing you in little squares. (laughs) Instagram squares. But, um, you know, I find it really beautiful when I actually do actually finally get to connect with someone in person that I think has been um, an inspiration to me as a person. So, yeah, I just wanted to preface the podcast at the start by saying that um, because, not only are you an exceptional runner, um, you're an amazing mom and a beautiful person. So, oh, thank welcome. you. I'm going to cry. I said, <laughs> don't cry in the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I'll probably cry. Um, this one's going to be a cry one, I think. Um, yeah. So we'll just say that right now before people get right into <laughs> Disclaimer. it. <laughs> Disclaimer. But um, before we get into all of your story, let's go back to the beginning of um, Just tell the listeners, you know, who you are, where you live, what you do, and I guess a little bit about your running journey.
0: Okay, no problem. Um, Again, thank you for having me. This is um, so surreal. I mean, I listen to the podcast, I follow RMA, and then, yeah, to sit here and and have this conversation with you is um, uh, just when you asked, I was like, really? (laughs) So thank you. Well, I, my name's Mel. I'm 35 now and I have three beautiful little kids. My husband, Steve, we've been married for, someone asked me this yesterday and I had to think about it, uh,
1: about five (laughs) years.
0: I was like, five, six, five years. Um, And yeah, I live in Melbourne, um, very just north of the city. So not far from the CBD at all. Um, And I have been, uh, I'm a police officer. So I've much, I worked full-time as a police officer up until um, maternity leave which I started in September last year 2020 mm-hmm. and uh, running wise I, I used to jog I guess um, for fitness you know I'd say I'm going out for a jog and I would I think I would struggle to get to 5k I was one of those you know I'm going out for a jog and then run too hard or and my goal was kind of you know to just run further and I had no idea really it was before the time before you know watches and things like that I just had a loop um and that was when I was living at home uh with my parents um but I did jog a running joke is that I would jog at primary school and high school and I'm still in touch with my primary school cross-country coach Mr McCall big shout out um, who cannot believe how much I run now because I would I would run enough at school level so that I could get to the um, inter-school sports and have the day off school and go to the inter-school sports with my friends and then, you know, run the run and then not press any further, really struggle on that day, but go, oh yeah, I had the day off, met some fun people and then I'd go to school. So that was kind of my um, motivation to run during school. Um, but I wasn't overly sporty. I did dancing and singing at school. Um but then, yeah, I didn't really run. Um, like, as a police officer, we had to maintain a level of fitness. And so I tried to jog every now and then. Uh, until I met Steve, I really had no idea about, you know, fun runs and, um, and comp- competing to run um, at all. Um, we actually, the night we met we were um, out with two separate groups of people, but had mutual friends and randomly ran into each other. And the concert, was telling me that the next day he had a half marathon on, and I had no idea. Like, I was like, oh, okay, people run. Um, I'm like, how far is that? You know, that I had no idea. Uh, and it was one of the AV events that they have every year at Burnley. And um, uh, so we met, and we were out until the very early hours of the morning, and he was due to run at like 6am. and Uh, I still know like the the story that he and his mate Liam um, ran the half marathon and Steve was not well like he was just really struggling so um, that was my introduction to running Um, but I only got my foot out the door when Brooklyn was about uh, 12 months old. Um, I struggled when she was little. She didn't sleep she was one of those babies that didn't like to sleep we ended up at sleep school at five and a half months but um, I was just really struggling I um, had postnatal depression I was a super anxious person anyway Um, I had put on some weight which I wasn't you know used to like my whole identity had changed um, having Mm. a baby and you know she wasn't easy but it wasn't just that she wasn't easy. I just, I struggled. So um, it got to a day where C was just like, just go outside and go for a run. And I was like, well, how do I do that? You know, what, what do I do? And he's just like, put your runners on and step outside. And I'm like, well, how far do I go? What do I do? And he's like, well, just try and jog 15 minutes. And I'm like, really? Is that it? You guys just do 15 minutes. So I was like, all right, whatever. Went outside and started jogging. And I didn't even, I wasn't even a walker. I didn't go for walks and things like I was just, you know, stuck in this bubble. And so I went outside, jogged 15 minutes and came back and, you know, straight away that endorphin hit and he went, how was that? I was like, yeah, it was fine. I was like, how, how far did you run? I think I did, you know, you know, two and a half K or something. And he was like, yeah, that's really good. And I'm like, okay, what do I do tomorrow? <laughs> and actually how it started. Um, I think, you know, I started, yeah, she was about 12 months. I booked in a race. Not long after that, my first, I don't know how I got to let's book in a half marathon, but I booked in a half marathon. Um, what was the Cadbury half in Tassie um, with the incentive that it was a little trip away with just Steve and I um, going on our friends, Liam and Charlotte, um, Liam Adams who's um, an Olympian that has a f- funny race story in itself, but we went away for the weekend and um, got up really early and ran this half marathon with Steve running the whole way with me and, um, We had a little fight during the run because um, he was dragging his feet. And I said, can you stop dragging your feet? It's really annoying. And his reply was, I'm not used to running so slow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But it was like, and he was just like, there I am like struggling, you know, like my life depended Mm -hmm. on it. And he was like running up ahead, taking photos of Liam, taking photos of me. The last thing I wanted was like, you know him jogging around and even people in the race around me were looking at me going "Who is this bloke like what yeah. what's going on so um yeah i finished that race and um did a time of about an hour 37 um for wow. my first half yeah and i i had no idea and that that was um like how that compared to anyone else or i was just on i was amazed that i finished a half marathon and then um at the end we got chocolate. So I was really, I thought this is, running is amazing. Um, So yeah, that was, I guess, how I um, got the running bug literally. And um, I guess, yeah, the rest is history. I just kept going from there.
1: Wow. What a story <laughs> from going from nothing to running your first half and doing it in a really good time. I mean, you had a young daughter. How old would Brooklyn have been at that time? So she um, t-
0: turned one in October and that was the January um, just after that. So, you know, 15 months, yeah, a little bit older um, than that. So, yeah. She was quite young. Um, she was used to running in her life because we always, we went to watch daddy run and we would go to his training. And um, so when I took it up, it was just a, okay, now mum runs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah, she was young, but it was just a really good outlet for me. I was still, um, um, I just started, I was back at work part-time so as well. So it was kind of just that little bit of me time getting out of the house and, mm-hmm. you know, that sense of accomplishment once the run was done. Mm.
1: Did you feel like um, because you had started running that there was now this element of like competing, especially when you had a baby or a one-year-old competing for time now with Steve and he's running as well? Was there that element of when are you going, when am I going kind of thing? Uh,
0: yeah, definitely. We, um, It's constantly a juggle, even now. We um, like a tag team, you know, with when both of us are working you know full time and running and the kids and things like that we just have to be really efficient and kind of you know there's often a text message before you leave work have you run yet you know um you know how will we do oh and the night before we go to bed it's like so what's the plan for tomorrow um unfortunately we're not we're both neither of us are early risers um, we're night owls So they are often some late, later runs. Like he tries to run in the dark rather than me, Um, but I don't, I don't mind it. And we just literally have to, you know, what's the plan for tomorrow. So I um, have generally in any training um, pattern, have two rest days a week, which is good for me to have a break. You know, there's so much other mum life stuff you need to catch up on the cleaning, the cooking, the grocery shopping, all those things. Um, But Steve generally runs every day. Um, and it's kind of like just coupled in, I know when his training sessions are, they're generally the same time every week. And then with his other runs, we're flexible with those and we try and tack them onto the end of his working day so that he's just, you know, out the door and once he's home, he's home. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, huge juggle, but, um, I think Steve's always been really accommodating to make sure like prioritizing my runs and like, I'm not, I'm not at his level, but it was always, you know, if I would respond with, oh, it doesn't matter, I won't do my run today, goes, no, no, you need to get it done. So mm-hmm. that's always made it a lot easier.
1: Mm-hmm. That's good. And it's good that you both have that, you know, and and that balance, I guess. And yeah, and with, with what you do, you're working, you're running and your family. And can you tell us a little bit about Denine Runners and how that came about?
0: Um, I was not interested in starting a running group um, to start with um initially steve um, had a coach and a group that he would run with then um, his coach decided that he didn't want to um he wasn't coaching anymore he just he wanted to step away from it um and one of his athletes said one of the athletes turned to steve and said well why don't you take the group and steve class and you know always ends up with these conversations like well so and so said that i should maybe you know take over the group and i'm like oh here we go um <laughs> Yeah. And so eventually he wore me over, um, wore me down and I, s- I said, okay. Um, so it started off just kind of taking over this group of, um, I think it was mainly guys that um, were around his age and a few bit older um, and just setting their sessions and um, that developed. And, you know, we have a group, we have some that are um, come to training regularly, some that train remotely. Um, we'll have people approach um, for planned sessions you know with a goal race um, so it's really just a hybrid of all different things people that might only get to one session um, a week or a month but they love that they have the group to come back to to train with um, and yeah now we have like a, a, a big mix we have um, a recreational runners we have a group that trains locally to us that we have um, one of our awesome coaches Kate takes every morning at like 5 40 and they are there's a the core group of a bunch of mums which is really awesome they like to get out get their training done um, early in the morning and i don't know how they do it like they're so dedicated and kate is like there every time um, and they get their training done and you know set their goals and um and then we have another group that mainly trains in the evenings and saturday mornings and um, they're from you know recreational runners to some of them um, we're at nationals this week so uh, it's a really great span, a really good group of people. And I, I, when I go to the main group, like the group sessions, I love turning up and you just see, you know, those back at the pack runners and the elites and the um, the elite, as they're jogging past, they're cheering on the guys that are, you know, doing their heel rep. And um, I just love that they have that connection with each other and then when they're competing at that high level you've got the rec runners just you know you know you've got all the social media messages and the and the encouragement and it's just a really lovely group of people so we have um our head coach now is andrew white who's been a, a family friend of ours for for forever um and he's also he works with steve so he steve's been able to take a little step back um, as much as he resists it um to focus more on his running and obviously family we've gotten a bit busy over the years um yeah, yeah. and uh, so whitey takes the main group and plans their sessions and he's just um a, he and kata are just a savior to, to us and just allow us to be able to still foster this um network of great runners rather than um, having to step, step back from it and lose that, that connection so we're really lucky to have that support within them as well
1: oh that's really special and i'll put that in the podcast notes and how if people are who live down there or even want to touch like they might be able to network with you are you in a specific area down in victoria um
0: yeah so um, we're in thornbury um just north uh, so darabin there's a there's a group that train there and then um east of melbourne as well but really the programs can be tailored to anyone and the runners that we have we have people that are just, you know, couch to 5k runners as well. Um, that, are one of the, probably the best thing that, um, Steve and our coaches are really good at is managing people, I guess, getting into running or having injuries. So Steve's a qualified mm-hmm. osteopath. Um, Kate is studying osteopathy, but a of quali- uh, she's done exercise science and, um, a strength and conditioning coach. So I do strength and conditioning with her twice a week. Um, and then Whitey is Um, a highly experienced athlete as well and he's a remedial masseur and um, you know they're all qualified coaches as well so we kind of have you know just a lot of people in our pocket to help and that's I guess what helps me be able to go out and run and you know not get injured or kind of pull me back when I'm overdoing it as well.
1: That's good and what do you think like what is it that running personally gives to you as a person what do you love about it?
0: uh so steve asked me this the other night and we had um we had a a heated discussion about it my my instant response is i get to eat more and drink without having to worry about it and at the start (laughs) it was kind of that it was like oh um you know i can you know when you when you have a baby and you've put on a bit of weight and first i and then i lost it and i was like oh i feel like i'm back to myself and i was um breastfeeding at the start of my like when I first started running you know you wanted to eat the Tim Tams and you wanted to just you know sit on the couch with a packet of Doritos sometimes and I was just that was my you know I was like you know sometimes it's there and I was so tired and I didn't want to cook and you get the guilt because you wanted to make something wholesome and delicious for dinner and I just be like I just want a pizza um and yeah, I was just, oh, I'm totally real. Like, I oh, just, you know, that the the balance, you know, the balance is always there. But um, when I was running, I was so, so hungry all the time. And, you know, when you're breastfeeding, you're so hungry that I was like, oh, you know, I can eat. You know, when I eat these foods, not that I associated guilt with them, but I was like, oh, but I ran, you know, 20K this week. I'm going to eat an extra slice of pizza or something. um that was initially that i was like oh look i can balance everything out in moderation and and i didn't have that exercise component in my life and i now had it um but i guess we're so lucky where we live we live um about 900 meters from darabin creek um which is a beautiful little creek that goes flows into the city we've got trail for kilometers like you know there's water running and there's trees and um I really miss that if I can't get out and get down and just, you know, breathe some fresh air. But even that, I guess, mantra of just putting my foot out the door and putting some headphones in um, or just getting out. And like, there's just so many different components. Even I know that this week, these, this is, these are the runs that I have for the week and ticking that box and saying, I got it done. um, That little bit of sense of achievement that I, okay, I've gotten that run done. It may not have been perfect or, it may have been great or it may not have been easy this one because I was tired. But once you've gotten it done, I'm like, okay, now I can just move on to the next day, knowing that I've got it done. So that's um, I guess that's what it gives me, it gives me a sense of I guess achievement, um, even if it's just an hour a day that I can um tick off and and everything else that comes with it, you know, the flow of um, oxygen and the blood pumping through your veins. And you know, I could go from sitting on the couch not wanting to you know, walk outside and for some reason I still find that it put put my runners on, walk out the door and I come back and I'm like, okay, I'm reset, ready to go. And, um, yeah, it gets me through the week really. I'm sure a lot of people feel like
1: that. I'm sure a lot of people do and a lot of mums do because it gives you that time for yourself and it gives you that time in nature and de-stress, deload, you know, just forget the woes and worries of the day and, Mm -hmm. it's your time. So I'm yeah, one of
0: those people that, will, you know, I'm running along the creek and I'll look and I'll be like, oh, I wonder what the water level's at. And then I'll be like, oh, this grass is really good. I've replanted the grass here. I'm like, you know, little little things that you think, I don't know, I, I'm assuming people do it as well, but I'll, the sun's setting. I'm one of those that has to stop and take a picture of it. And I come back and I show the kids. I'm like, oh, look at, you know, look at what I saw out right on my run. Yeah, little things like that that kind of just, you know, kind of ground you, I think. Um, and it's not something that I've ever really thought of consciously, but I know that I need. So, which
1: yeah. is, yeah,
0: it's nice to know that.
1: Yeah. And whereabouts in your running journey were you when you discovered RMA? Uh,
0: look, I, I think it was fairly early on. Um, I, it was always on, I guess, social media. I can't remember, you know, the exact moment that I, I found. I think um, it would have been on Facebook and I found the group and um, I think I just started you know when you're kind of new to something and you find people that are similar to you and one of the things I guess in the running community I struggled with when I first started running was that um, all my husband was you know at that elite level his friends were at that elite level Um, when I finish a race and I came you know 100th they're coming in the, you know, who's in the top 10? Yeah. And I, and bless them, they always were very encouraging to me. Um, that time I did the Cadbury um, half marathon. Like Liam won the half marathon in a course record time. Charlotte, I think, came third. Steve ran with me, and I think I made it all about myself. Like I was like, oh, guess what I did. Um, and I uh, yeah, and they were totally um, encouraging and supportive, but I didn't really have anyone in my life that was just, you know, trying to achieve the same kind of things that I was and had the same kind of struggles that I did, you know, was working, um, had a child, um, was navigating that life of running for the very first time. So um, it was hard, even though I had so much knowledge and experience around me, you know, I didn't know, um what cadence was I didn't know what um an easy run was what are strides I didn't know what drills were and even when you try and start to learn drills in front of a group of people who are very experienced that you know have done them their whole lives I was just like I feel so uncoordinated so yeah it was just really nice to find a community that at least I could I could um align myself to and you know see that people had um struggles and goals and um achievements that were similar to mine and, and they were celebrated and you know you could, you could help each other out with you know what you did know but I think I sat in the background a little bit at the start and then you know I'd put up you know my you know a, a small achievement and then be like oh wow people you know are happy for me as well because I would watch you know people at that stage as people doing you know ultra marathons and marathons and these amazing times and I was like oh wow they uh, do all of these things you know work um single mums mums with um other challenges and things like that but I go oh they can do all this so you know there's opportunity and I can I guess set my goals as well and they were realistic you know before that mm-hmm. it was a pipe dream kind of thing so mm-hmm. yeah it's just nice to kind of yeah, get a window into a whole group of people that um, I could connect with. Mm,
1: that's nice. And that's that's all, what it's all about. It's all about connecting with someone who, or people that, you know, understand you and understand mm-hmm. your where you're coming from and part of your journey. And even though you were surrounded by runners, you know, and like with your husband and everything, and I'm sure he was a wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah. I can understand that feeling of just needing someone at a similar in a similar journey to you feeling like you, you know you can resonate with that path yeah um, have you met any particular rmas that have kind of walked the journey with you in the last few years
0: yeah um oh, i'll probably forget some but i know definitely like selena i met like and then it kind of gravitated from the facebook to instagram you know sometimes it's easy you just want to put up little pictures and snapshots of your training or your life so selena who lives Um, just over the creek to me Deb who's down the street Um, and I ended up meeting Lisa Waitman uh, before a run once and although we are on totally different ends of the the spectrum um, that ability to be able to talk to someone who I guess you know understands Steve's running life and you know is a mum and is amazing in her professional life as well so you know we catch up when we don't catch up for running dates, we catch up for play dates and the kids play and then um, we can talk about everything and anything. And sometimes it's running. And then we, you know, go back to being mums again, which is, I think also nice, you know, you have um, that balance between everything. So um, luckily they're all um, like, there's a few that are very close to me, but then especially through, um, you know, the last 12 months, just being able to jump online and the amount of support You have, um, I guess, Melbourne, we were in lockdown for a long time, but people that were, you know, following um, what has been happening over the last 12 months and then reaching out and just going, well, this is a lot bigger than just me and, you know, the handful of people I can meet for an hour a day um, in, in my vicinity Um, there are people out there that are reaching out and sending their well wishes and, you know, um, encouragement now that I'm back running again and, um, you know, even sometimes telling me to give myself a break when I find things a bit too hard. So, yeah, I think the community definitely goes beyond, I guess, what's in my um, 5k bubble. (laughs) It's expanded beyond that. Yeah, definitely.
1: And it has been a big journey and we'll get into that now. So um, this is going to be, you know, it is going to be a hard thing to talk about because it has been uh, an unexpected journey, I guess, that, that life has brought you on in the last 12 months. And uh, I mean, it's brought everybody on a bit of an unexpected journey, I guess. But in terms of your family and um, you being diagnosed with breast cancer in these last 12 months, it's been a really big shift, I guess, for you in your life, in your family. And for a lot of people, when they get diagnosed with breast cancer, it's a real shock, but you were diagnosed last June. It was on the 22nd of June um, when you found, well, you weren't diagnosed and you found a lump in your breast in your left breast. Mm -hmm. And only about a week later, you found out you had breast cancer, but at the time you, you're only 34 and you, you were in, you were 25 weeks pregnant with your third baby, um, Emerson. So you know, what was that experience like for you at that time? Let's just talk about a few different moments um, during this time. So let's firstly talk about when you found that lump, Um, where were you and what went through your mind at that time?
0: Yeah. So I've, um, it's great to be able to talk about this because a lot of people, I don't know if I haven't really gone into any detail, but a lot of people ask because, you know, it's, it's a different, um, for their own awareness and, um and it's different for everyone but uh this i think it was like a monday night or sunday night and um steve was had the two kids in the bath and i think it was after dinner and i was you know pregnant and tired um and we don't watch a lot of tv but i was sitting on the couch tv was on and i don't even know what was on but i remember thinking that um my breast felt a lot fuller and bigger at this point of the pregnancy than with the other two pregnancies. So, you know, you always go through all those changes, but I just remember this time thinking, oh, geez, they're big already. Like how big are they going to get? And I hadn't put on that much weight. So with this pregnancy and the one before I had gestational diabetes. So I was managing that as well through diet. So I couldn't, I hadn't put on a whole heap of weight like I did in my first pregnancy So I just felt like something felt a bit different. And I think I was sitting on the couch and I just had my hand on my left breast and was feeling, um, you know, that, that they were fuller and just trying to work out like, you know, know, how big are they going to get really? (laughs) Um, And then, um, for some reason I was just feeling around, I guess the top of my breast. So they say it's like 12, 11 o'clock, if you were looking at a clock face, um, and I could feel this kind of like ridge um, in in the breast. And I was like, oh, what's that? And I, I initially, I straight away just thought, oh, it's like a milk duct or maybe it's a bit blocked or, you know, so many different things happen while you're pregnant. So I was just like, oh, it feels like that. And then I felt around a bit more and I realized that it was kind of more of a solid mass. So it wasn't round um, like a ball. It was maybe more rectangular, but it was kind of, it was hard and it was not normal. So I was like, "Oh, that's weird." Um, still was in my head thinking that could be, yeah, um, breast milk related. You know, all the changes. Um, but I remember Steve was in the bathroom with the kids, and I walked in. And I'm a bit of a, you know, worst case scenario thinker. So if I find a lump, I know that potentially, you know, it could be something serious. And you know, course of action is go get it checked. But um. I walked over to Steve and uh, and he's an osteopath. So he feels, you know, people's bodies. He can feel when people have got injuries and and things like that. So um, he, I said, feel this. <laughs> so I said to people, well, yeah, I said, to him, I feel my breast. Yeah. <laughs> and definitely not. He felt it. He's like, I said, can you feel this? Because you kind of want it validated in your own head that um, there was actually something there. Yeah. And he felt, and he goes, oh yeah. I said, that's something, isn't it? And he goes. Yeah, that's something. So, like, okay, what do I do now? And he goes, well, just go see the doctor, and I'm like, okay. And you know, it's kind of in a matter of minutes, it's gone from you know I'm pregnant and I'm tired to okay, better deal with this. Mm. Um, and I know that I can't sit on it for long because all I'll do is overthink it and I may as well just find out what's going on so I um, jumped on my phone booked an appointment with the GP for the next afternoon which was the next availability um I was working full-time at the time as well so you know juggling work kids uh and I went to the GP and um you know they did an examination and um you know their little questions like, oh, did you have your breast checked at the start of your pregnancy and, you know, at your first hospital visit? And I was like, oh, no. And they said, oh, well, they usually do that. And then, of course, you just start going, oh, was it there before? Has this just come up? You know, um, would I have known earlier? You know, and, and straight away, you're just on this spiral of questions and what should I have done or, you know, what could have been done differently. But she um, gave me a referral to um, have a, a ultrasound um, because I was pregnant I couldn't have certain scans so yeah. um, an ultrasound it was so I called the next day to book that in and um, I always think about the you know there's receptionists that answer the calls at these places and I called and I said oh look I just I've got this referral when can you get me in and she's like oh next week and I was like oh okay that's fine so it was like Thursday in the next week and I went okay and I hung up and I sat there thinking for a bit. I was like, "That that's not going to work. I can't sit on this. <laughs> it's like a lifetime one. Um, so I, I can't remember if it was that afternoon or the next day. I called again and I said, oh, I've got an appointment next week. But I said, this is the circumstance. And she was just so accommodating. She goes, I can only imagine what you're going through. Let me see if there are any cancellations or anywhere I can squeeze you in. And she, I think she said, how about tomorrow? And I went, yes. And I um, yeah went in uh had the ultrasound they sent it straight to my gp so like that was i guess monday or tuesday um
1: and they didn't say anything in the ultrasound to you so you're
0: no they just kind of you know did the measurements and i guess they couldn't really say much and at the time it just looked like a mass of some description
1: mm. so
0: um they got the results back to my gp very quickly but it was you know as by um Friday, sorry, like Thursday that week. I'm sure I was back there having a biopsy on the lump, um, and you know it was a bit daunting. I had to go to everything by myself because of COVID. Um, so I was laying there, and I just remember like there was the like the sonographer. I don't even know if that's what they call, but the person that just the um, ultrasound, and then the doctor who was doing the biopsy. And you know they were clearly looking at me as a pregnant um, yeah, woman going through this on her own, and going, you know what. The worst case scenario is that she has breast cancer, and so I just remember the um, I, I'm I learned I did hypno birthing with my first daughter, so I was um, pretty good at kind of just kind of switching off and kind of just breathing and relaxing. Mm. Um, but the sonographer was she grabbed my hand at one point and like because the biopsy can be you know it's not as under a local but it can be just be awkward and i was just like what is going on like you know i'm you know i'm having a baby and this is happening but i was very um, pragmatic about it i was like well got to get it done um then yeah i think the next day i you know turned up at the gp and um she said you've got to go see a specialist so um luckily again we literally she said who do you want to see i'm like i don't i don't know who do who do i go and see um and Luckily, um, the specialist that I was referred to got me in the next day. So Friday morning, I saw a specialist. She wanted further tests done. So I went in for a second biopsy that week um, on Friday afternoon, which was probably the most annoying thing because I knew I wouldn't get the results until Monday. We went through that whole weekend. Like we went to the zoo and it was supposed to be this whole fun day of, us finally getting out of the house with the kids and, you know, going to the zoo and all I could think in the back of my mind was, you know, what's tomorrow going to bring. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially when the specialist, when you leave the specialist office and she says, Oh, make sure you bring your husband. And I was like, "Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, Monday came around and, um, the one thing when you're a police officer, you're kind of hypervigilant and you're very observant of things and, while I tried not to Google breast cancer too much because it's a rabbit hole, you don't want to go down if you don't have to. um, I did Google my specialist and her website and her website had a list of, you know, the people that worked there. And one of them was the counselor um, or like the breast nurse who counsels you and supports you through the, the whole process. So when they said, "Come into my office," and we walked into a room that label that was labeled counseling, and I looked over and saw the nurse that was the breast care nurse from the website. I just turned to Steve and said, "I know why we're here." And um, the surgeon looked at me and said, "What? What do you mean?" And she said, "You googled, googled the website, didn't you?" And I said, "Yep." And um, she goes, "Yes, it's breast cancer." So yeah, that was, that was all, you know, that was my week in, at the end of June, um, 2020. So a week that a lot happened. Um, I've only relived a couple of times, but yeah, it got me to that point where everything changed.
1: Like when they said to you that it's breast cancer, like what was yours and Steve's reaction to that when you were so. Um
0: yeah I don't really know what his was. <laughs> um, I probably wasn't looking at him directly. Um, I just know crying and then um the first words out of my mouth was I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. And I guess you hear that cancer term, and that's where exactly where your head goes. And you think of your kids and you yeah. you know go i don't want my kids to grow up without a mother and i was pregnant so you just kind of go how does this all work Mm -hmm. um i said to um the surgeon i said oh geez cancers just need some remarketing because you as soon as you hear it you hear that you know it's a death sentence but you know really it's not we're so lucky at the amount of research and um and treatment options there are these days that um but yeah that was exactly where my head went to that worst case scenario and then you know the surgeon was uh, she was able to then break down I guess what the results were and what this meant for me um but yeah that first I just remember saying that and kind of not no one can comfort you at that point because the, that's exactly where what I thought my future was so yeah not ideal
1: <laughs> and as a mother I mean you're the one that's supposed to be holding it all together and you're the one that's supposed to be looking after everyone else and you're the one that's supposed to be there forever. And then yeah. all of a sudden your I guess your, um, your reality is, is that actually going to be the case? You know. Yeah.
0: I think, I think, you know, no one um, wants to be facing their own mortality and, um, you know, I'm probably not the one holding it all. Like I think Steve's the one that holds our family together. To be honest, I'm the one that you know. I don't know where I'd be without him. But um, yeah, you know, it's just it was more my kids. You know, it, it, it. I didn't want them growing out growing up without a mother. You know, and my daughter, um, she's so sensitive and she's just in tune with everything. And I was just worried how, you know she like how what this how this would impact her life moving forward so that's um billy you know he's only just turned two and doesn't really know what's going on he understands if mommy's not feeling well but um brooklyn you know she is so medically minded even if one of her favorite shows is you know that ambulance show on tv and she loves all of that so yeah that was definitely um her definitely at the forefront of my mind in terms of how is she going to cope with this and you know even how is she going to cope without a mum you know she's such a sensitive little soul and um that was yeah at the forefront of my mind
1: you know how did you tell brooklyn or did you even tell brooklyn about your cancer diagnosis and how did she take that when you told her uh
0: yeah we um I don't even know when we had this conversation, but we knew that we would always be upfront and honest with her. Um, She's very perceptive and in tune with um, everything around her. Um, Also very medically minded. So if I was to walk in with a band aid, she'd be like, what happened? You know, what happened there? We knew that there wasn't going to be anything that we could hide. And the other thing was she would hear conversations and we didn't want her to, in her own mind, make up what she thought. Thought was happening. Um, so that day that we found out, I remember we drove home. Steve um, called my brother, who was in Brunswick, and said, "Can you meet us at our place?" And my mum was here with the kids, and we kind of had told mum that I found a love We're getting it tested. Um, mum had a sister that had died from breast cancer, and so we knew it was going to be quite sensitive and my cousin who's from the that sisters in the Philippines. And then my cousin who lived in the Philippines, but was currently in is currently in, um, Dubai, um, had also just been treated with breast cancer. So we knew that, you know, things weren't looking great in terms of that background, but, uh, yeah, we told my mum and my brother pretty much as soon as we got home, cause you couldn't hide it from our faces. Um, Steve actually called each one of his siblings in the car ride on the way home to tell them because we want to be the first people, you know, to tell our um, immediate family. And then I, we took Brooklyn aside and explained to her that um, I'm, I've got a thing called cancer and that I explained to her exactly where it was and that it was lump and she felt the lump. Um, and I said, so it's just, you know, some cells in my body that are making me sick. Um, but we're really lucky that there's medicine that that exists to treat it, but the only problem is medicine is going to make you feel really sick. Mm. So we kind of explained it to her, and she's very mature, which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. Um, So she understood the language that we were using. Mm. Um, We spoke to her school about it, and we just told her... Um, about things as they were happening so you know if I was going to have treatment they put the medicine and I took photos to show her and that was really hard because she would love to have come and sat with me every time I get treatment Um, when I had surgery she was actually able to come visit in the hospital so that was really good because she worries and she's concerned and it just leaves and she's also very inquisitive so she wanted to just see the hospital room Mm. but um yeah we talked her through it all um, the heartbreaking thing was that night Steve um, was putting her to bed and she was crying and he was laying with her and she said, "What if Mummy dies?" And you know that was heartbreaking because at the time we didn't know the answer. So, um, but we just could reassured her reassured her that there was medicine and that I would be treated and that everything will be fu- like, you know, that we will keep fighting and everything will be fine. And that was the other reason we wanted her to know is that there's lots of different cancers and they all get treated differently. And yes, some people can get really sick, but you know, we told her I wasn't, you know, that I, I am getting some of the best medicine, the best doctors in the world are treating me. And, you know, I was going to be very lucky. And so we were just kept open. We were lucky we could stay on that, you know, tell that story we still tell her that story but um, the hardest part was her seeing how unwell I was and but she's a little legend she is often the little mum in the house who will you know go warm the bottle for me or go you know when I was you know will hold her sister while I run around and do things and yeah mature beyond beyond her years so we're very lucky
1: what a amazing little girl like that's a lot to deal with there's such a young little girl isn't it but like yeah obviously very strong and she is and she heard
0: both my mum and her uh, my mother-in-law you know we talked to her about how she was feeling and um she had a great she's got great teachers and support at school as well there's a school counsellor we've put all those things in place um to make sure like and it has been even up to last term was really tough because we were constantly juggling her and she was tired of it and she you know it was just wearing her down but Mm -hmm we've now had that conversation that is nearly better and there's, I still have to get medicine every now and then. And you know, that I'm, she, she can tell that I'm feeling better. I don't have those slums that I usually have and we can go and do more fun things. You know, we go out for walks and parks and, you know, fun activities more often now. So I think she can see that things are improving. So that definitely helps her state of mind as well.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So what was the actual diagnosis? Like what was the type of breast cancer that you had?
0: Yeah, so at the, um, it was really hard at the start because um, they couldn't get all the information they wanted to because they were limited to the types of testing you could do while I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. But at this stage, like, we knew that it was... Um, oh, they classified as hormone-negative, although one of the receptors had a 10% um, reading, uh, but classified as hormone-negative, but HER2-positive, so um, her 2 um, is a, a protein that can be negative or positive in a, a breast cancer diagnosis. And just remember the surgeon saying, this is a good thing because we know how to treat um, HER2-positive breast cancer. There are drugs for this. And I was like, okay, well, you know, let's make a, a positive out of this. Um, so the oncologist um, at that clinic was um, not there that day. So I had a meeting with him, uh, I think it was like the, the next, uh, in the in few days' time um but other than the size of the tumor which we knew um it wasn't huge but it was um it was about you know two to three centimeters you know in diameter um which because you know they ask you questions like you know didn't you know didn't you know is this the first time you felt it and you kind of go yeah <laughs> like, you know it was a like, you know they, they say check your breasts and all that stuff but i don't know i was pregnant living in a pandemic and working full-time whilst homeschooling a preppy and a toddler and having a toddler at home. So it was kind of busy. Um, uh, So yeah. And also the, the, um, it was quite an aggressive form of cancer. So it may have um, developed quite quickly as well. So there's no real, didn't really know if it'd been there for a while or not. Um, So yeah, once we knew that there was, you know, definitely treatment options, the hard, one of the hardest things going through it all is um, I didn't get like a grading for a really long time and and the, the testing of the biopsy of the lymph nodes um, came back negative but they when it was kind of like but we're never you know 100 percent sure until we do feather thing and you know do um, yeah so it was kind of like they kind of had their hands tied as I was pregnant um, I still had a mammogram um, I think I had I could do a couple of things but um, I, you know, had a a couple of other medical issues at this time. I had um, a scan done and I had an aneurysm in um, and they were treating that monitoring it to make sure that it wasn't um, in my spleen. So to make sure wasn't nothing was happening with it. Um, but okay. during one of the scans, there was a spot on my liver and they're like, oh, well, we'll have to. Wait until after you have the baby to determine if that's anything. So then you're sitting there the whole time going, okay, what's this spot on my liver? You know, um, so it was just all of these things, um, kind of one after the other that you, I was just like, well, we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get to it. But um, I guess once I spoke to the oncologist and knew that what the course of action was that he was very reassuring and said i've treated many women who have been pregnant and he goes it's not a good thing he goes but i have and it's been you know positive in terms of you know the baby's been fine and i guess that was my next priority is like how do i keep this baby um healthy and happy in there for as long as possible and um you know how does this impact i guess um you know the rest of the gestation period
1: What was the course of treatment while you were, I mean, only 25 weeks pregnant? I mean, you, I guess you still had 15 odd weeks of pregnancy to go. So
0: what the oncologist did for me, he said, if you weren't pregnant, this is the treatment plan that we would have. And he says, and because you are pregnant, this is the treatment plan that we have. So it was pretty much the same. Um, The only thing they could have moved around was the surgery. So sometimes they operate first, Um, and then do chemo afterwards. Um, With me, they decided that due to the timing, they could get four rounds of um, AC chemo, which is also known as the Red Devil. So pretty um, harsh type of chemo at this stage of the pregnancy safely. Um, I guess the other concern was that it may have spread. So that way, if they start treating the cancer straight away, they're preventing, um, you know, that aggravation anywhere else if it had spread. So um, I did four rounds of AC chemo um, whilst pregnant. I just remember it felt like a really, really crappy pregnancy and, you know, you lost your hair. So it was, um, you know, n- nausea, extreme fatigue, um, you know, all those other fun things, you know, constipation, diarrhea, mix, everything that you could, you know, mix bag a really uh, a p- unpleasant pregnancy. Um, yeah, that was kind of it. You know, I was really lucky to have support through that time. Um, and then the, yeah, the initial plan was the four rounds of um, chemo, have the baby, 12 rounds of um, Taxol, another chemo, and um, that was going to be weekly. And then at the very end, have surgery. But that didn't go to plan um, because I reacted to Taxol um, at the end of the year. So after the baby, it ended up in hospital for a week. So they decided to operate um and move things around a bit, which kind of was a blessing in disguise because it lessens the amount of chemo I had to have in the end.
1: Mm. Which was good. Yeah. Wow. I mean you, you mentioned like that you had a lot of support. What kind of support did you have during that time? Because I can imagine just well, anybody who's pregnant who's not feeling well during pregnancy mm. requires support. But yeah. throw in rounds and rounds of chemotherapy, then having the baby and then having surgery and then more chemotherapy like you guys would have needed so much support um what kind of support did you get during that time
0: um well because we were in lockdown for most of well you know a long time mm-hmm. um we there were some exemptions to those restrictions so um i'm fortunate enough to have my mum not live to you know 30 40 minutes away um and my mother-in-law um you know 20 30 minutes away in another direction so We literally had a bit of a roster between the two of them Um, kind of having someone here nearly all of the time, um, you know, with the exception of, you know, mainly in the evenings, um, especially once Emerson was born. Um, My husband is one of eight kids. So the whole family pretty much put a cooking roster on and Steve's mum had a deep freezer and it was just full of food. And I had offers of so many people to, you know, drop things off. I had, um, you know, some of our RMA friends, you know, dropping off um, sourdoughs because everyone was sourdough baking. It was sourdough
1: season. Yeah, exactly. I was
0: not complaining. Um, And, uh, you know, lasagnas and things like that and you know, there was people just offering, you know, and I, I kind of understood, you know, you don't know what to do in these kind of circumstances. And, you know, people wanted to give food because they knew it was one less thing that I had to worry about. I love pasta. So I was like, you know, bring me all the lasagna. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, just had that um, huge amount of support the hardest thing with, um, you know, the kids was everyone was like, drop the kids off for play date, but we couldn't. So we couldn't um, have help like that. And even if, you know, I had an exemption for carers, you know, and things like that, but um, I really had to limit who I was exposed to, um, you know, and you did, I didn't expect, you know, extended family to live in their own bubble just so that they could have play dates with my kids, you know? Yeah, I was just, I had lots of avenues of support that I didn't know I needed but uh, and luckily like a lot of the time I didn't even have to ask for it it was just there. I had so many people just going you tell us what you need and and we'll do it and then even if I didn't tell them they'd find something to brighten my day which was amazing just a little care packages turning up I got one from you which was I was just my mind was blown that um so many people cared which you know they do but um you could not only feel it but it was tangible so that was really lovely
1: and that's the thing like you know not only when people are in a crisis but it's nice to know when people are there and surrounding you and you have got a huge network of support and you know from your family through to your running friends and just your friends in general people from work I'm sure like it's nice to know that when someone's in need that people will step up and help them and one thing I actually wanted to talk to you about which I I haven't talked, I didn't ask this on the podcast that I had with Sarah um, is that, you know, cancer, although it can be, you know, I guess when we generalize cancer as lots of different types of cancers. It can be common and lots of people go through a cancer diagnosis, but what Mm -hmm. people don't realize is the financial impact that that actually has on a family. Like it's not that you can just go and have treatment and it doesn't cost you anything. And, -hmm. What was that like for you and your family? If you're open to sharing that, because I know there was a time when you needed some support, and you know how did that affect your family? It's not like you can; it's just free. The government just pays for everything. You know, you obviously have (laughs) to have time off work too, and Steve would have to have some time off as well. Like, what was that like for you in your experience?
0: Yeah, there's um, yeah, no one really like we're very fortunate in Australia. I mean, we've got so much health care available to us and, um, you know, some of the most qualified and experienced specialists in the world, you know, in, in our backyard pretty much and accessible. Um, but yeah, there was definitely um, costs involved. Um, I ended up, go, I had private health insurance, but I um, and I went private initially because of the um, look, I didn't go public, so I can't compare other treatment, but there was just this urgency of needing to get seen and needing to get things done, um, you know, quite quickly in terms of my treatment plan. Mm. Um, and I said, at the start, Steve and I just went, well, not money's not an option, but we'll work it out. You know, we'll assess what the financial implications are. And, you know, in, in that respect too, we had people saying, you know, if, if there are things that you need let us know one of my best friends just went i've got some money stored away let me know if you need it and i broke my heart and um yeah they got got to a point where you know specialist um consults cost a certain amount but then you hit a threshold and then you get like a discount it's like winning the medicare lottery um uh, the thing the, the things that you kind of celebrate um but you know surgery costs money when you when you go private um but in terms of The drugs that I was on, chemo, was um, fully subsidised. Oh, well, subsidised, but you still paid for some of the... I had to have some injections to increase my white cell count. So there were certain things you have to pay for, but definitely subsidised to a point where, um, yeah, it wasn't a huge amount, but it was still, you know, every week you were kind of getting these fees, you know, appointments and things on top of each other. Um, There was one drug that... um, it kind of blew my mind that it was an option for me that they had had some great results in um, trials and tests. But because my cancer hadn't spread, I wasn't metastatic, that I wasn't eligible to have that drug um, subsidised, but it was going to significantly improve my chances of it not spreading. So I was like, well, what do you mean by that? Um, and they said, yeah, well, if your cancer had spread, we can co- it would be covered. But because it hasn't, um, it's cost, uh, I think it was around $10,000 um, a dose and you needed at least four. And Steve and I looked at each other and we and I read some of the um, studies on it and things like that. And he just said, do it because you've got one chance at this and you don't want to regret not doing it, you know, 10 10 years down the track, but um, we were really lucky that I ended up being able to qualify. So we were out of pocket a significant amount, but the drug company subsidised some of it as well. Um, and surprisingly, my private health um, generously said they'd offer, I think it was like uh, $300 or something. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, what? Um, anyway, that was just a bit of a, right, thank you. So, um, and then... The other thing was, you know, Steve was in an industry that he was, you know, every now and then having to, he had restricted trade. So he got down from, um, you know, being fully booked hundred percent of the time to dropping down to 30% of his workload. So we lost income. And it was almost a blessing in disguise that I was pregnant because I knew I had some maternity leave pay, whereas otherwise I would have eaten up all of my sick leave and, so yeah anyway we ended up in a bit of a position where finances were definitely tight and it was something that we were not stressing over but we just had to reassess and work out what our priorities were and then a few of my friends um our friends you know they were sitting there going how do we help how do we how do we make this easier for you and when I had told like you know, two or three friends about you know how much this drug was costing they just went well, well doing we it go fund me <laughs> I'm like well, what um I just you know never expected to be i've worked with you know i volunteered a lot worked with charities and all for that but i just never thought that i would need um this for me this figure would help you know it would help us to not have to worry about the um surgery bills that were coming up or to help cover some of that drug um and yeah the generosity of so many people including the running community was just astounding and it like, you know, within 24 hours, we'd hit the target and exceeded it. And, um, yeah, like all the money had gone to, you know, pay. Like I, when I had to pay that um, hospital bill and knowing that I hadn't, didn't have to put it on the credit card and pay it off um, and having the money just to transfer straight. You know, and it's paid, you know, a surgeon paid. I was just like, oh, this is such an exhale. Like in a moment, the support we had from people just just gave us some breathing room to be able to, um, yeah, just go, okay, this is shit, but we will, um, yeah, keep going and we just, and to know so many people had our back, like just people's generosity just blew my mind to think back on it. And I, you know, I'm I'm going to, if I could thank everyone, and I don't actually know everyone that, you know, donated to us, but if I could thank everyone, I would. And, um, yeah, I'll be forever grateful.
1: So how much did they end up raising with the GoFundMe page?
0: It was over $30,000, I think.
1: Wow. That's incredible.
0: And um, in a time where people were really struggling, like people, it was, you know, people, um, I remember Steve saying there was some kid that he knew donated $20, you know, and I was just like, you know, I, I felt like, you know just unworthy of um people's generosity um but yeah the money i just i don't even know how
1: to repay people well they know (laughs) even by listening to how grateful you are you are definitely worthy of it (laughs) you are definitely worthy of it and it's it's made a difference to you and your family you know and 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 people are beautiful. You know, there's some really Mm. old people out there, but there's (laughs) people out there. And, and, you know, as I said, you know, sometimes it does take a crisis for people to come together. And I think even just during COVID, like people came together, you know, um, and they supported each other, you know, whether it was a business that was struggling, whether it was a family like yours that was struggling, you know, people would do anything they can to support each other, you know. And I think that's just... Um, a testament to the human spirit and um, the generosity of strangers. So, making yeah. me all emotional? <laughs> <laughs> we are going here. We had the disclaimer at the start. <laughs> well, I wanted um. to talk to you about the fact, like, that it was COVID. Um, you know, obviously you've said how it was hard, being you know in your 5k bubble type thing and especially down in victoria during that time was there any restrictions on your treatment because of COVID at all like were they restricting how much treatment you could have or even having support people come with you
0: yeah i am um, my specialist appointments were pretty good i could have steve come to those obviously all masked up and everything um Uh, And, you know, the main reason I felt I needed him there is because there was so much information a lot of the time or, you know, there was often, you know, a a few weeks between appointments. But, yeah, all of my treatment, um, uh, as in like the, you know, going into the oncology ward, that was all on my own. So I spent a lot of time scrolling, you know, Instagram and Facebook or anything to distract me i think i put up a couple of posts in rma while i was in the chair a few times because you know i was i had fomo you know as much as i was pregnant um there was always the back of my mind you know i had my plan was that you know 12 weeks postpartum i can start running again and you know there was other women going through similar challenges in rma so it was just you know allowed me to kind of visualize where i would be one day um and People, you know, often say, my doll is X. And they say, you know, just focus on getting better. I'm like, I don't want to focus on the fact that I have cancer anymore. I just want to focus on something that I can set in the future. Um, So that was, um, you know, other, like, treatment never really got um, postponed or was limited because of COVID. You know, when you go and have a biopsy, you're laying there with your breast exposed and you're having injections to, you know, local anesthetic and then you have end you know, I had some of the most lovely um, health professionals and practitioners there that were just, you know, some of the nurses blessed them, you know, they just, they knew that it was crap and they knew that it was not ideal that I was pregnant, you know, on top of all of it. And they just had the most comforting demeanour, making sure, you know, I was, one time I was having, um, I think it was one of the biopsies and she said, you know, can you feel that needle? I said, oh yeah, it stings a bit. She goes, you shouldn't feel anything. More local,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <For extra. laughs>
0: Yeah, so um, you know, they were just so focused on um, your welfare and well-being in a time that was not ideal for them. So, yeah, I was very lucky of surrounded by some really good people. Um, I guess I didn't know any different, so I didn't start treatment with company so um and again like i said i was pretty pragmatic I was like you know I'd call my boss in the morning and say hey i've got you know I'm going in for treatment at this time it's at 10 o'clock so I should be done by 11 so i'll be back online at two uh you know by you know one um and he's just like take the afternoon off like, oh no 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 it's fine i can still do it. and he's just like oh okay if you if you want to <laughs> but it was kind of you know i'm just going to carry on with it and get through it and then um i guess that's kind of what got me through the bulk of it to be honest I, trust me there were days where i would fall in the heap and say this is crap and i don't want to do this anymore and mm-hmm. why me but um yeah Steve picked me back up off the floor <laughs> out of bed off the couch and said okay have you cried do what you need to do and then and then i just walk out and be like okay what are, what's next? You know, what's what's next? So yeah, we, we got through the bulk of it.
1: So let's talk about when you had Emerson now. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you'd been through all of this treatment and anxiety and wondering, you know, was this going to even have an effect on my baby? Like what mm-hmm. stage of the pregnancy? Did you have Emerson? Was she full-term or did you have her early?
0: Um, So pretty much full-term. I think she was about, oh my God, going remember like you know close to 38 weeks and the plan was always to um get as far as long uh, along as possible so having gestational diabetes at the same time they don't like you to go over um so there was always talk of induction um I personally wanted to um always want things to kind of start organically and and get the ball rolling naturally that was just what I was comfortable with so it was a balance between all of that um after my last chemo um they wanted to wait um at least three weeks to make sure my white cell count came back up so obviously with any birth or any potential you know you you know anything could happen so you could end up in a c section or whatever um they want to just make sure if there was any infection my body was able to fight it mm. so my doctor um said as long as you do your blood tests and your white cell count is at a certain level um you're and I think he gave me the date of the 2nd of October he said you can go any date after from any date from the 2nd of October as long as your levels are fine and so i remember i was um i went public with Um, with the birth, which is where I had the other three. So I was very comfortable, but they put me under the care of an amazing obstetrician because of the high-risk nature of it. Um, Like I said, also had that splenic aneurysm that was being monitored as well. So the only risk of that is that if my um, blood pressure went high, then I was at risk of rupturing. So there was some concern about that as well um but yeah I had really great care um so when I said he said not like you know from the 2nd of October so she said oh well, we'll book an induction in um so that it's booked Uh, and I said how about the 2nd of October (laughs) so
1: I was (laughs) kind of done
0: (laughs) yeah I was kind of at a point um that I was, you know, I wanted to have this baby. I wanted to have her as naturally as possible. I didn't know she was a girl. We had a little gender reveal during lockdown. I did have, like they did all the others, like, you know, um, a stretch of speak and things like that, trying to try and get the ball moving. So I did feel like there was some movement on the day, but um, in the end, they I did get induced on the second. And I kind of knew that was the date, but I didn't want to, um you know I didn't publicize that too much um and then yeah we went into hospital on that day and she was born yeah later later that day so it was um, a fairly you know it was straightforward I had an epidural this time which I didn't have I had both babies naturally um without very minimal with just gas the first shines, but this time around with the aneurysm the specialist said you don't need to be stressing and we don't want your blood pressure to go up and we want you to relax. And I honestly don't know how I would have gotten through without it because I was so tired. Um, you know, you kind of just soldier on through mm-hmm. life. And, you know, I was tired anyway, having all the chemo treatment and the kids and everything. Um, but, yeah, I probably had never been so tired in my life after giving birth that time around. Um, interesting because it was COVID time. I think we are in lockdown again at that point um so yeah no visitors at the hospital um Steve was offered to stay overnight if I needed him but you know it was my third I just said other than being tired I'm, I'm fine um they just wanted to make sure I had that emotional support if I needed it but yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really positive experience considering everything that we had gone through, and I got given a chocolate donut in the birthing and that was all I wanted, <laughs> <laughs> I cuddled her, she was perfect, she was healthy, happy, fine, and then I got my chocolate donut, so that
1: was happy. Was there <laughs> any concern that you had that she might have any medical issues due to chemo, or was that something that they told you would she would be okay? Yeah, they
0: said that there was really no risk because of her, her gestation, there was really no risk of any of the drugs crossing um, over to her. There was no real known cons- like risk factors or concerns with delivery. Like the main thing was, um, yeah, my own, you know, making sure I didn't get infections and things like that um, due to my low immunity. Yeah, there's guilt, I guess, a little bit of guilt that if something went wrong with her, then it would be kind of my fault but she seems perfect so we're very lucky.
1: Yeah, oh, what a blessing. And did, yeah. you, did you enjoy like I know you were still in the lockdown bubble but did you get to <laughs> enjoy that time together with a newborn like in your family?
0: Yeah, it was definitely different. So I wasn't able to um, breastfeed this time around um cuz I was going straight into more chemo. Um so I knew that going into it and yeah. when my surgeon said, you know, you we recommend not breastfeeding. I kind of made my peace with that and that was fine. So um, I can't, I wouldn't call it, I feel like I missed out a little bit in that, you know, a lot of that time you would just spend with you and your baby. I didn't get that um, kind of quiet time alone with her a lot. Mm. Um, but I had so much help and she's built such beautiful relationships with her grandmothers who were around and you know even Steve and even her you know my my daughter is able to give her bottles and things like that so um, but it was definitely just a bit of um, adjustment to having a different relationship and then you know having to leave her you know very early on you know for a day at a time to go you know when I got treatment it often would take hours so I knew I had to leave her and I knew she was absolutely fine she was a very good baby slept well um, was comfortable with whomever so um you know I was leaving her with my mum or my mother-in-law my husband so it was really I was comfortable leaving her I just was not used to having to leave a baby so young but yeah the probably the hardest part was when I reacted to chemo um that time and I ended up in hospital for I think it was about a week um, really unwell so having that time away from her was really hard because again we were in lockdown and there were no visitors to the oncology ward at the hospital so I was in a little room by myself um, pretty much you know 90% of the time only when doctors and stuff came when nurses came in so I just yeah sucked it up and yeah it was just waited until I was well enough to go home so yeah
1: a a tough time like being locked in there away from your family especially after all you'd been through (laughs) like you just with your family
0: yeah it was just a I I guess in my head that was one thing if anyone ever has to go through something crappy like this is that you expect the unexpected like as much as you have a plan or a, a timeline or you know they don't always go to plan, so I just was, you know, I have um, 12 weeks of Taxol, so took had to get through 12 weeks of more chemo and then that was fine and then I couldn't and then I was in hospital and then um, they didn't know what was wrong with me and they didn't know why I was reacting, and they didn't know where the rash came from and I, then I developed a heart issue and then, then I was just like, what next? <laughs> So um, just expect the unexpected, but I guess hope for a positive outcome. And then that's the only thing you can do, like, you know, trust in the experts as well.
1: And where are you now on the journey with your cancer treatment? How Uh, far are we and how old is Emerson now?
0: So Emerson is um, six months and three weeks-ish. And so she's great. She's um, happy and growing and... Yeah, uh, you know, just did all those little milestones, ticking them off. And I finished um, radiation. So I did six weeks of radiation, which included five boosts at the end, which some people get and some people don't. But that was Monday to Friday, six weeks. I finished that about three weeks ago. Um, And by the end, it was you get quite fatigued. um, But just that mental load of having to juggle dropping off one child at school or, uh, you know, I was so grateful one of um, another running mum and um, a a friend happens to have a daughter at the same um, year level as Brooklyn would help with drop offs and things like that. So just calling on people, you know, to make life a little bit easier, just not having that on my plate at the moment. It's I guess day two of term two and it's amazing. Like, you know, just to not have to think, too heavily about being a cancer patient like I've got treatment on Thursday so every three weeks now I will go and get Herceptin um and that's until there's 17 rounds of that so I finish around December hopefully all going well and yeah like I have a few more scans and things that I'll um follow up on um throughout the course of the year but yeah it's kind of I feel like it's on that like downward spiral. I I kind of said, you know, I'm hoping in 12 months time that this is just all, you know, that chapter of life and it's done with, but there's always that in the back of your mind. It may not be, but it is what it is. You can't, I can't change that. I'm doing everything in my power to minimize that risk of recurrence and, you know, um, just trying to live, uh, enjoying, enjoying the rain, enjoying the running, enjoying the kids, um, uh, and just getting through to the end of this piece of the puzzle. And hopefully that's the end. Mm. That's,
1: and yeah. what kind of running I've seen that you've been doing some runs. Um, yeah. Out. Doing park run and doing some runs. Yeah. Have you got any like little short term goals or are you just enjoying getting out there at the moment? Yeah.
0: I kind of, um, I kind of like have a four weekly training plan that, um, so Steve's not my coach. Whitey is my coach because, it just stops us from having to have that relationship of a uh, husband, wife, coach. Um, so why do my coach, we kind of like set a four week kind of training plan and then reassess at the end of the four weeks, how I'm feeling and how I'm building. Um, and yeah, like I've got um, on some medication to protect my heart during um, this course of treatment, which is known to cause heart damage. So it does put limitations on me, which is frustrating. Um, my, my heart doesn't beat very far. Like it slows my heart rate. So yeah, that's frustrating. Cause I just want to, you know, keep getting gains, which, um, you know, if I go for a, a decent run, um, afterwards, I'll feel quite fatigued and I can build back up after that, but it's just a matter of, um, pacing myself, which I'm not very good at because I get impatient as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just building building up from that. So, nothing – I'm building fitness and strength over, you know, till I finish treatment. And, yeah, just kind of like four weekly increments of where I can um, just have something to focus on for the week. And then, yeah, we see where we go from there. But I will, we are planning to go to the Gold Coast uh, in July. Oh, Yay! Yeah, so we'll be there and um, I'll be doing like the 10K, which I did last year. So um, I've got no expectations as yet in terms of what the result will be, but it's we plan a family holiday and we love to go and cheer on all of our friends um, and all of our athletes that are running. So, you know, you'll find us in the marathon, usually, you know, towards the 30K or beyond mark with a whole heap of snakes and gels and things. So look out for us. We'll happily hand them out to whoever needs them. Um, and the kids love it. Like they love being a part of that atmosphere. It's um, so positive and, you know, seeing all those people um, trying to achieve those goals they've set out for possibly, you know, years ago, it seems, because they've finally gotten there. Yeah, it will be. It will be years ago. <laughs> yeah, literally. So no, it's exciting to get to that. And then, yeah, we'll just see what, um, what the rest of the year has in plan. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I have to kind of listen to my body and see what it allows me to do, um, and then, yeah, in the meantime, I'll keep touristing park runs uh, <laughs> as I can um, and, yeah, just seeing what, where it takes me next.
1: Oh, hopefully I get to see you in person up at the Gold Coast.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I was knew uh, that the tent's going to be there. I'll have to, yeah, definitely pop in and, yeah, cheer on all the RMAs. I love, I'm such a, like, you know, nerd. I see the, the little symbol somewhere and I'm like, kind of like hi <laughs> so if you ever see me on a course somewhere and I'm like I'll say hi running mama and you know it's probably just me being a little groupy and, um yeah I cheer on everyone that you know I cheer on everyone I see someone running down the street and I'm like oh, good on them and they don't know me <laughs> um
1: <laughs> I know that's just what runners do though this is like I'll be driving the car and I'll see someone running and I'll like Mark's like you're looking yep. at you. I'm like, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't know them, Mel. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. No, so
0: it's, uh, I look forward to, yeah, it will be great to meet in person. And, you know, now that there's more running events um, up and running, pun intended, and, uh, you know, less restrictions and more normality. Yeah. It'd be really cool. And, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of really looking forward to next year because I'm hoping that I won't have any more treatment, no more medication, and I'll just be able to kind of, yeah set some goals and yeah. see what the year brings.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. It is. Um, oh, I just wanted to ask you how you think, like, you know, you have been very open in sharing your cancer journey on your social media, particularly, which has been, I'm sure, um, really helpful to a lot of other women that would be going through a similar journey. It might not even be breast cancer, it might be in something else, but I think, you know, in sharing your story, you can impact other people's lives. How do you think sharing your story has helped you um, in your journey?
0: Uh, one, it's an outlet to get it out of my head and um, onto a medium that, you know, one day I can reflect on and even see how much I've progressed, like, even though it was only, you know, I got diagnosed in June, you're so busy with life that you don't reflect on what you've been through. Mm. And I guess that it's given me the opportunity to kind of, I guess, reflect and put out there um, my experience. And, you know, it's, everyone has a different, experience and different goals and you know sometimes it's very running related because I don't want to always focus on the cancer side but then at the same time that's part of who I am at the moment I guess I want something positive to come out of this and it sometimes reminds me to be positive and I'll put up the post where I'm feeling really average or really miserable and everything's too hard. But then, you know, I come out of it and go, okay, but I've laced up again and I'm going back for that run and, you know, it will be okay, you know. Then I think of how I want to get something out of myself to kind of just put out into the world and outside of me because I'm an overthinker. I'm probably now an oversharer. But, um, yeah, even everything that I've done from work to um yeah my personal life to my friends and family if it helps someone then i'm going to do it yeah i'm just hoping that people just yeah experience what they're going through and build
1: upon it and yeah it, um, feel the emotion and then lace up yeah and i think that's <laughs> the thing that's so beautiful about you mel is that you are just real and I think it's important to share, you know, Instagram can sometimes be a little bit of a highlight reel. Um, yeah. But I think it's important to share the highs and the lows. And and I I think it's important because it makes you authentic and people actually um, trust what you say and your story resonates with a lot of people because you actually say how it is. Social media gets slammed so often, but I've um,
0: definitely reaped the benefits, I think, of um, a community. Um, friendships, both real and virtual. And um, yeah, there's, there's things that I've gotten out of the platform that you wouldn't think, you know, the inspiration and motivation to keep going. So very fortunate.
1: Um, What would you say to the women in RMA or any woman or man, I guess, that is listening to this um, in terms of how to detect breast cancer in themselves like what would you say would be one thing to look out for uh look well, the i
0: guess all you know they always say feel your breasts and if there's any changes you know get them looked at um and that's i guess for anything in terms of your body if there's something that's not right um as much as it's an inconvenience and as much as you know the last thing you need on your plate is a cancer diagnosis um I'm grateful that I got onto it early. The benefit of that is I'm hopeful that it's 12 months of pain to get through the other side and not have to deal with this again. And, you know, it could be a very different story if I had waited, you know, until Emerson was born or if I had waited, you know, twelve until, you know, it was easier, until I had more time, you know, until um, COVID was, you know, there was less risk. And we know that there's been less... They say that there's been less detection of um, certain cancers and things over this period because people aren't um, prioritising their own treatment. But if if there's any change in the way you're feeling, so I think it's, again, tuning into how you feel. Listen to your body and prioritise yourself. Life's way too busy. The best news, they could turn around and say it's nothing. Um, The second best news is that this is easily treated, Um, but you just don't want to say you've waited too long. So, yeah. Don't wait too long.
1: Yeah, good advice. Well, let's finish off now with the RMA Hot Lap. So <laughs> as you know through the podcast that you've listened to, I like to ask some questions to our guests. So they're all different. And I've got five for you. Um, so the first one would be what would you think back on as your favourite running moment? It doesn't even have to be a race. Um,
0: I would have to say... Um, I already spoke about it It was that very first half marathon and, um, and the reason is, is because I obviously did my first half, but the best thing was, is I had no expectations and I didn't know anything about running. So I didn't know, you know, I didn't go into the race thinking I had to run, you know, this pace, or I had to do this. I had to, I kind of ran to feel and, put my heart and soul into it and then came out with the goodies, which was a lot of chocolate. Kind of kick-started, I guess, the trajectory that I am on now. So I would have to say that, yeah,
1: you know. Do you prefer morning or evening for running?
0: I've got no real preference. Um, I I think because of our lifestyle, we have to run whenever we can run. Um, I'm not a morning person. Like, I don't choose to wake up early, uh, So, but I can run in the mornings. Uh, so yeah neither i just uh yeah if it, if it's whenever i can get out really
1: yep all right good who is your greatest inspiration
0: uh this is really hard but um i'm going to be super lame and say my husband um because i don't think i would be where i am at all um even before this cancer diagnosis without him so he's taught me a lot i don't know if i've taught him anything um be patience uh but yeah there's um uh, yeah we couldn't our family wouldn't be where it is um and my yeah I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for him but there's so many people in my life I couldn't um yeah single out anyone else oh, I
1: love that I love that what is the biggest thing that you have learned about yourself as a runner that
0: I've got more fight in me than I realized, so I never had um, that competi- like that competitive edge and it's not with anyone other than myself really, but I had never had a drive to really um, you know to, you know to run faster to do anything but um, apparently it's there and you know if you had told me ten years ago that I would be you know itching to go out for a run or clocking Ks every week and you know trying to get faster and run you know, long distance, I would be, I don't know that person. I was probably too busy dancing on bars, drinking too much or something. <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah. Oh, well, exciting things to come. So watch yeah. this space, everyone. <laughs> watch this space in the next few years. Yeah. we'll um, see. And the last question, this always gets people a little bit. <laughs> what would you want your children to say about you if they had the chance? Uh.
0: And this is one you, um, you always reflect on, like especially going through all of this. And I think, and it's quite simple, but I, I want them to know that I tried. So through everything, you know, if I am through the cancer fight, you know, I woke up and I, I tried. I, you know, there was some times where I didn't want to get out of bed, but I got it. You know, I tried and we kind of try and reinforce that in them is that you know you don't have to win, you don't, you know, but try, try to, you know, try to win. Because it's, you know, there's a whole mentality of, you know, it doesn't matter if you win or whatever, you know, at the end of the day it doesn't matter, but try. And I think it's something that um I hope that they see with both Steve and I um everything we do, we we try really hard and we try and do our best. And even if it's uh with our relationships with people um with each other and with running work everything we do we just try as best as we can and and that's all you can do
1: Mm, i love that oh that's so beautiful (laughs) we have definitely done that and you continue to do that and thank you for coming on today i'm so privileged that you know i could be here with you having this amazing conversation and i look forward to seeing what the next 12 months brings you mel yeah and
0: seeing you in person on the gold coast yes it's a date done thank you so much this is um I really didn't know what to expect, but it's been probably the therapy I haven't had yet. I'm trying to be honest and, you know, be true to myself and, you know, put everything out there that, you know, I don't want, you know, and, you know, this is something my daughter can listen to one day. So Exactly, yeah. Uh, And all my kids, but, you know, she can hear it and, um, yeah, even those people that I haven't been able to thank, you know, they might be able to hear it and, um, you know. It's just one way to get that message out. So thank you.
1: Wow, what a moving episode. I hope you enjoyed the insights into Mel's journey. For those of you that might be going through a similar struggle, you can contact Mel and reach out to her through her Instagram, Running Mama, and I'll put that into the show notes for you. Thank you for listening and I would love some feedback on the podcast. As always, please rate, subscribe and review and share this podcast with your friends. And if you have anybody that you would love me to interview as a guest, please reach out to me on social media or my email and I would love to have them on. For now, I hope you're safe and well. Until next time.